0: Brother Eddie's that we mark number 226, and we'll use that as a song of encouragement after the lesson this morning. And as was already mentioned in the announcements, it is a delight that we each have and a privilege at that to be able to gather and assemble with freedom and liberty and peacefulness even as we are and to have the opportunity to open the greatest book of all, the marvelous book divine to be led and guided by the salient teachings therein, and to rest assured that those things are what God has commanded and that they are the things that He respects, namely His will. We began a series of lessons last Lord's Day morning, a rather brief series, but nonetheless one touching on financial matters. And we each are acutely aware of how important financial matters can be to one's well-being mentally, to not have to be burdened beneath the worry, the anxiety that comes with a shortfall of funds or money, if you please. And it is today that we'll continue that series of lessons also using the book of Proverbs primarily as our guide and as our place of study this morning. Just to rehearse rather briefly some of what we had looked at then so that we'll be prepared to use them continually in a lesson today, We noticed that Solomon was the gentleman to whom we were looking as not only an inspired man, but a rich man. And thus his advice and his counsel can be especially effective to help us in our desire to manage well our monies and to understand better what God expects us to do with them. It is with that in mind we looked at some of these lessons. Namely, you'll note there near the bottom of that slide, we learned that the owner is God when we first realized from Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, to honor the Lord with thy substance, to recognize that we are but stewards of those monies and those possessions that we have. And with that in mind, that helps us also to realize that integrity, character, as defined by God, is very basic and important. God doesn't look kindly upon the acquiring of money, but to do it with dishonesty, to do it by trampling over the appreciation of others. And furthermore, the usefulness of them also must be guided by exactly the same premise. Thirdly, we also noted that sin is that greed is a sin, and that one thus must not be clouded by the thoughts of greediness, and let that be the overwhelming and the guiding premise and principle of one's life. For isn't it true from First Timothy sixteen, the love of money is the root of all evil? But then we noticed fourthly so quickly that one must not then take advantage of others in the pursuit of the riches and wealth that one has. Fifthly, and that was the final lesson of that day, that we are told expressly in Proverbs 23 that do not labor to be rich. Is interesting and as far-reaching as those guidelines are, let's look at some more today. And as we do that, we'll find that the specifics today are in fact more directly to the point in some cases. Those lessons last Lord's Day were somewhat more broad in character. Today, let's let God be somewhat more specific. And as we do that, He may come directly to you and to me, and we may need to make some adjustments, and we may need to rethink some of the ways that we look upon the possessions and the monies that God has allowed each of us to enjoy It is with that in mind, let's turn to our opening lesson of the day. First of all, as we appreciate, we had mentioned it briefly near the end of the lesson last Lord's Day morning, but Solomon has so much more to say about it that we would do well to revisit it as well. As we look upon the benefit that comes with money and blessings, finances and economics if you please... One of the lessons that we each must appreciate, be we young or be we we somewhat older, is the understanding of the role that work plays in that. To you and I who would thus strive to look upon work as being a negative, sorrowful, bad, undutiful thing that should be avoided at all costs, Solomon describes it as just the opposite. Young person, if you expect to have the monies that you want in life, you need to begin to develop early on the character of work is going to be needed. Sound and solid and wholesome and honest work toward that goal that you have in mind. And we who are older, if we expect to have that retirement that we would hope to allow at least a comfortable living, we should anticipate work and a lot of it is going to be needed in order to make that happen. With regard to some of the things concerning what Solomon says, let's start in Proverbs 10 verse 4. As early as this particular passage, the inspired writer penned, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. So if you and I expect to have a hand that's slack, a hand that far more often pushes the buttons on a remote and has a far less interest in pursuing work. Solomon says you're going to end up in poverty, you're going to end up poor, you're going to end up in want. In fact, the latter part of that same verse, it's the hand of the diligent. That industrious person, that one who has a mindset to work and a willingness to do so, it is that person that God shall reward with that thing we call finances and money, as you give thought to the way in which work is introduced there it is a poetic way and also a profound one that appears in Proverbs 20 verse 13 have you ever thought about the things in the bible that god says do not love these we immediately think of the world love not the world 1 john 2:15 but here's another one love not sleep why because if you do you'll find yourself in want and in poverty Love not sleep. You and I realize certainly what a blessing a good night of rest and sleep is, but Solomon says that mustn't go too far. We mustn't strive to enjoy sleep and rest all the time. There comes a time when work is required, and that is what God would expect of you and of me. You might note that the value of work is seen from the early pages of the sacred text. In Genesis 2.15, Adam was given work to do, to dress and to keep the garden. We find later also in the next chapter, even after sin had thus entered the world, in verse 19, wasn't it God who to Adam said, "...by the sweat of thy brow and thy face shalt thou eat bread, until thou return to the dust, for out of it wast thou taken, and unto that shalt thou return." And thus, work is a sentence that accords to the reality of life here upon this earth. Isn't it interesting that as we perhaps look at one more text in that regard, in Proverbs 28, 19, Solomon has one more thing to say about this. And the way in which it's presented here is again a rather compelling thought. Verse 19 of Proverbs 28 reads as follows, "...he that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread." But he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. To that person who tills his land, that of course in a day when farming was primarily the thing that's done, we apply that today. The person who in fact works with diligence shall have plenty of bread. But notice the one who follows vain persons Devoting your time to the pursuit of that which is far different than work. Spending your time, in fact, with friends and neighbors and otherwise. Again, being with friends isn't a bad thing, but it can't go too far. Enjoying leisure is not a bad thing, but it mustn't be allowed to go too far. For in fact, if you do, poverty will come your way. In fact, near the bottom of that, the very last lesson is drawn from one of the smallest creatures of the animal kingdom. In Proverbs 6, I'd like to begin reading in verse 6 and listen to the ant and how that ant that is lifted up as an example for you and for me. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler... Provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. So again, if you and I are interested in being poor, one of the surest ways to do it is just spend a lot of time in slumber. A lot of time sleeping and a lot of time in things that are basically wasters of the time God has given us. But what about a second lesson? The importance of work, the need that it has in the production and usefulness of the money God has given us. What about this lesson? It's one that we each need, again, heartily to keep in mind. To put it in the language of our day, don't live above your means. Don't live above your raising as maybe your grandparents perhaps would have stated it. In fact, let us look interestingly at that text again that Adam read for us earlier and notice there how that lesson is put before us. Proverbs 21 verse 17. "'He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man, and he that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich.'" Is you and I think about the application of that text to our day, let's begin in the following observation. Isn't it true that so many things are available to you and me in terms of varieties? And it matters not in many ways what you consider. When you think of a house or a car, the delicacies inside your house, the furniture perhaps that's placed inside it, there are various grades and costs, of course, that go with each one of them. One can speak about Honda cars that you can buy, even a new one, for fifteen or a little over $1,000. Or you can talk about a Mercedes-Benz that will cost you $50,000 or more. You can speak of a house that would perhaps suit your needs or mine at a respectable and reasonable cost of $120,000. But you can also speak about those that will cost you $500,000 or more. We understand the point well that there are various gradations and costs that associate to so many of the things in our life. And when it comes time to purchase, you and I have a decision to make. Will we, in fact, purchase that which is so expensive and perhaps beyond what would be a reasonable amount for you and me to pay simply because it will burden us with debt and it may take the rest of our working life to pay for it. And there may always be that consistent and constant burden of fear that goes with what shall happen if I can't pay this. There is something to be said, again, for living within our means, for not going out on a limb and trying to live higher than what would be reasonable and that what would be in accordance to the way God would expect us to use those funds and the monies that we have been given. That is, after all, what Solomon says here, isn't it? Put yourself back in this ancient day of Solomon. Back at that time, the end of verse 17, as it makes reference to wine and oil, only the wealthiest had the finery of olive oil and the finery of character and exhaustiveness of wine. If you were a typical common person, you just couldn't afford that. You didn't have it. And therein lies Solomon's lesson. If you as a person, though you are not easily able to afford that, if that's what you're bound to have and you do invest it, you realize you're spending all of that funding and money for what you could live without and what you really do not need. You could live within your means and be just as happy and far more contented. That lesson thus goes a long way to challenging you and me today. To that young couple, when you begin to consider that special other person and maybe you're contemplating marriage, when you start out that young life together, don't live above your means. You, in fact, develop first a character of some savings and the reality that goes with a foundation on which you can rest and then you stretch out perhaps and purchase some things when the funding and when the other things are available. It will stress your marriage if you first go into so much debt because then you're both working day and night, perhaps even then at a job that doesn't pay that well if you're that young, trying to meet these debt payments, these credit card payments, these other payments that can so put anxiety and stress and worry upon you. Live within your means, and that's a lesson for each of us, not just the young. We who are a bit older, who have been blessed by God with a decent paying job. Still, the challenge is there. Do we go out and purchase so many things that we really don't need? Things that only add additional debt to that credit card and that thus must be paid each month. It is something to consider. Solomon would again remind us, even though he was a rich man, don't live outside your means. With those two lessons in mind, let's turn to a third one. What else does Solomon have for us to consider in the days of the Old Testament and that are still as pertinent for us to consider today? So many of those purchases that you and I make often involve large amounts of money. A car, a house, perhaps a set of furniture that goes in that house. Perhaps you're developing the thought of a boat, Perhaps that list could go on and on, but the thought is this. Solomon would urge us to not be hasty as we make those major purchases. Let's read a text, in fact, that's found in Proverbs 21, verse 5. "'The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of every one that is hasty only to want.'" The thoughts of the hasty, the end result of those that would be hasty, you'll note it that the the inspired writer says it leads to want. The lesson, of course, in that simply is the following. Those major decisions that we make have a tremendous long character to their implications. That house may take 30 or more years to pay off. That car making the monthly payments, it may take years and years to pay it off. And thus, the following thought appears. What if once that decision in haste has been made to buy that house? What if two years down the road a disaster happens? You're injured in a car wreck and you can't work anymore. Now, will you have the funding even with insurance to pay off that house payment? It's something to consider. Maybe if we had given some deeper thought when that initial decision was made, we would have thought maybe a smaller house with thus a smaller monthly payment would have sufficed for the moment. Then, ten years from now, when a nest egg has been built and when the opportunity affords then a larger house could be purchased. You see, if we make these decisions in haste, we could sorely regret it because we do not know what the future brings. In Proverbs 27, don't we read that very thought? Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth, to quote Proverbs 27.1. It is to be noted in that regard that the Hebrew reads this verse very interestingly. Again, Proverbs 21.5, the Hebrew includes the word surely in it, as if it rests to the point of a certainty. It is the case that those who in such haste make these decisions will come to a time of want in some regard in life. And by the way, those who he says are diligent or more thoughtful in regard to this, they shall be in a state of plenteousness. We should think twice then before those major decisions in life are approached. When they involve obligations for so many years concerning money, and they perhaps strap our available means to the point that it leaves us little flexibility to approach any issues that do occur later, we might want to think twice, maybe even three times about entering into that obligation at that point in life. May we be diligent then, perhaps bouncing the idea off someone we trust, perhaps parents, perhaps others we can look upon with a great degree of respect and honor. But in addition to that lesson, what about a fourth one? When we give thought to those blessings of life and perhaps the financial things we've been given, in the fourth place, Solomon would be quick to say, don't waste what you do have. Sometimes we each are guilty of that, I'm sure. We've been blessed with so much and we perhaps waste too much of what we do have you realize that's in effect equivalent to not ever having it to start with. We thus are removing some of the grand blessings that God has given us by wasting it. Listen to how Solomon addresses some of those points. Let's start in Proverbs 24, specifically verse number 30. And let's read the next four to five verses out of that chapter and listen to the wastefulness that goes with what this individual has failed to do. I went by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well, I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man." Did you notice with me the initial descriptions? Solomon said, I went by the vineyard. This person was wealthy enough to have owned a vineyard. But he hadn't taken care of it. It was all grown up with thorns. The wall around it was broken down. Nettles had overgrown it. He had wasted the blessing that he'd been given. He hadn't taken care of that which he had had. And as we give thought to this matter of wastefulness... Look at some of the things that challenge each of us today. If you and I are extensive in our wastefulness, it robs us of the financial security that God has allowed us to enjoy if we hadn't been such a waster. When we, in fact, have that income of money each month or each year and 10% of it's wasted, 20% of it's wasted, then that means that funding cannot be there to earn interest and to be used profitably that It's not there to be enjoyed for that which would be a blessing in the future. We've wasted it. And so it is that we are asked to be good stewards of that which God has given to you and to me. In fairness, notice with me Proverbs 18 verse 9, in which this thought is also addressed in the following way. Proverbs 18 verse number 9. He also that is slothful in his work, is brother to him that is a great waster. So on that occasion, Solomon equates the person who is lazy toward his work and the one who is a waster of the benefits thereof is basically in the same boat. They are guilty of in many ways the same things. Thus you and I should be of a mindset to be good stewards, to strive to use wisely and to good benefit those blessings that God has provided, far from, in fact, striving to waste that blessing. Jesus, in fact, was asked something about this in Luke 15, beginning in verse 11. We notice on that occasion the Lord was, in fact, turned in His discussion by the question that was asked of Him. And it was there that Jesus spoke about that one who in fact had been blessed so mightily. Now, one would have to admit his desire was to store it up and to never share it, to never employ it in that way. But we notice that God had the last say in that matter. And isn't it interesting that Jesus, even on that occasion, gives us an example of the following. It's always been an interesting observation, I suppose, to many of us that when the Lord fed the 5,000 with but five loaves and two fishes, in John 6 verse 12, Jesus gave one more commandment near the end of that episode. And wasn't it true? He said, gather up the fragments that nothing be lost. We remember there that 12 baskets full of fragments were gathered. The Lord's interest and concern was that it not be lost. Jesus wasn't guilty, you see, of wasting it. How did the Lord use that? The Bible doesn't say. Did He and the apostles eat off those fragments for the next day or two? We don't know. Did they take it to the closest nearby town and allow the poor to have it? We don't know. Did they sell it perhaps and allow the funding to be put into their treasury so that greater good could come? We don't know. But we do know that Jesus didn't want any of it lost. Later when He fed the 4,000... Again, the fragments were gathered. They were not left to simply rot away and decay. May I submit to you that example of Jesus is a powerful one for us today. Don't waste what we are given. That may mean in the kitchen that we throw out less. We eat leftovers more often. That may mean in regard to the other things that we have, that we be less guilty of wasting the things that we may enjoy be that the gasoline in our cars, be that the clothing that we have, that we use those hand-me-downs more often than just throwing them in the trash can. We be less guilty, you see, of wasting those blessings that God has given to us. Perhaps yet in the fifth place, in light of all of these, the next one will in fact tie to this one, but also extend it just slightly. We've just learned how that we shouldn't waste what we're given But that also suggests that we should take care of what we do have. Again, you'll notice how easily the thought can come to your mind and mine. We purchase that automobile. So we invest the monies, in fact, to make that our own. And yet, when we don't take care of it, three years from now and every year thereafter, there are major repair bills necessary because we haven't taken care of it. And perhaps in five years, we'll have to have another one because that one no longer is fit to even use. When, if we had taken care of the automobile, it might well not only have lasted five years, but ten or fifteen years later, it still could thus have a great resale value, and maybe we'll even still desire to have it to drive for ourselves. If only we had taken care of it. And what about our house? Do we take care of it as well? It is a great blessing God has provided If we take care of it, it again will have a higher resale value. It will maintain its value much longer. It will not depreciate nearly as much. And so it is that we, you see, can be good stewards of what God has given us if we will but take care reasonably and rightly of those things He has given. In Proverbs 27 verse 23, we have Solomon addressing this matter in the following way. A very brief text, but nonetheless a very interesting one. Proverbs 27, verse 23. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds. Again in that day when farming was the predominant style of life, he said, take care of your flocks. If you take care of them and the investment of the assurance of what they will provide, that will serve you well. And today, isn't the principle very much the same? If we will look dutifully to those blessings God has given us, our cars, our houses, the other things that we have, they will serve us well by allowing us to enjoy the financial blessings and comforts that God would want for us to appreciate in the years ahead. Taking care of those things that we have. As we give thought to that matter, you'll notice that many things in life thus can be viewed from that perspective and in that way. Simply taking a little time to ensure that things are cared for in that proper way. As we do that, though, one thing that does easily come to mind is that that demands consideration. We can't just buy something and forget about it. And it also involves an investment of our time to provide the proper maintenance and care for those things. And that takes us to the sixth lesson of the day you'll notice that here we learn that more possessions imply more responsibility. Again, Solomon will tell us that in Ecclesiastes 5 verse 11. And as you give thought to what that implies, how many of us can heartily say we understand that well? Because God expects us to take care of those things we have, the more things we buy, the more things we purchase, the more things we accumulate... That means there's more to care for, there's more maintenance to be done, there's more upkeep necessary. And so again, the lesson is easily this one. We shouldn't buy those things we don't need and that we're not going to use. For again, that puts us in the place of upkeep to something that does us no benefit. It is interesting that the more we acquire, the more possessions that we have, the more responsibility that's ours to care for it to ensure that we're good stewards of what we have chosen to purchase and to buy. Again, in Ecclesiastes 5.11, this is the way Solomon puts it. The first part of that verse is the most needful for us at this point. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And on that occasion, we thus notice the responsibility and the duty that corresponds with an increase in that which is purchased and those things that you and I own. Are we good servants and dutiful ones with regard to what we have chosen to purchase and buy? Or have we invested significant amounts of our money in things that we don't need and and that we don't use? It is something to consider and something to think about, isn't it? With regard to all of that, you'll note near the bottom of that slide that Solomon's perspective is one that affords us a whole new look upon this, doesn't it? He had the funding, the money to buy anything basically that he wanted, and yet in light of all of that, he still gives us these wise instructions because he was an inspired man. It is with those things in mind that the six points of today we can summarize briefly like this. We've learned about the quality that associates and the blessings to what God has given us, But in light of that, here are the briefness of the lessons we've seen. We need to be ready to work. Not only ready to, but have a mindset of the role that work plays in the financial security that we might wish to enjoy here upon earth. Secondly, we also notice that we shouldn't strive to live above our means. Thirdly, the understanding to make major decisions that have financial consequences with slowness. Not with haste, not looking past some of the features and factors that will be touched by that decision. In the fourth place, don't waste what we have, but then take care of what we do have. And finally, the last one to appreciate the fact that with an increase in possessions comes an increase in responsibility. To take care of and provide the proper maintenance for all those things that we have chosen to acquire. It is with all that in mind that it turns us to the closing part of the lesson. The understanding and the realization that while here upon earth, we are to be dutiful servants of the God of heaven, not only physically in terms of our monies, but of course the guide that directs all of that expenditure is our choices of a spiritual character. Are you a Christian this morning? Have you turned your life over to the one in whose hands is a safe refuge for your soul and all that would be your life? If you haven't made that decision today, but you know that you should, let today be the day. The baptismal waters behind me are warm and ready. The angels in heaven are excited to rejoice for your decision. And we as a congregation would be excited to witness your obedience to the gospel this morning. If we could be of assistance in that, then you need to come forward and let that be known. You do that as an expression, of course, of the belief in your heart, the repentance also of those sins in your life, the confession of the sweet name of Jesus as the Son of God, and then the burial and baptism for the remission of your sins. If we could assist you in doing that, why not today? If you have become a Christian, but perhaps financially you've become loose... You have started allowing too much waste to enter into your life so that you can't direct the things to God in contribution or otherwise that you know you should. Why not make some changes today? If those need to be done publicly, we'd be excited to pray for you, with you, that God would forgive and that you'd be sanctified and justified again. If we could assist you today in either of these, we would only ask you, let us know, in that way we could help while together we stand and while we sing.